This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Wow, this one's trippy. So, I recorded the intros to all the 11 podcasts before this of the 11 of 12 days of Breaking Normal Christmas edition. And this is the one that I recorded before I actually recorded the podcast. And it's with a lovely lady named Ellen who seems to be a queen bee to me, especially for women in entrepreneurship and synergizing together. And it seems like she's coming hot off her recent TED Talk about that topic. And I'm excited to dive deep with her about that. And I haven't even met her yet in person, but we have plenty of mutual friends, including her co-founder of one of her companies, uh, Jolie, who once had the cat that Amber and JP now own that I'm in the room of filming this podcast. So this podcast intro anyways, and the podcast, maybe we might film it here. We might film it somewhere else. I'm excited to find out. But if I'm going to remember a future before our exploration, I'm imagining it's me stepping into a deeper reverence for the maybe masculine side of women in the sense that not meaning anything the masculine looking physically, but maybe embodying the masculine energy of directness, of vision, of taking action, inspired action, of deciding once again, in another word, to be clear, to understand there's a chaos, but that we can be in harmony with it by making clear choices surrounded by our dreams and that's my hunch that my hunch is that Ellen is going to inspire me to realize that an energy that I associate typically with men um, that I'm going to also get to experience in a beautiful feminine charismatic breaking normal woman I'm excited to explore that with y'all and uh, I trust these 12 days if you did the breaking normal ritual or if you're hearing about this for the first time to start from the beginning and do these this 12 day of Christmas, breaking normal challenge to upgrade everything in your life and win some f- awesome stuff. Go to breakingnormal.com and check out the podcast section. And um, here's and cheers to synergizing with someone for the first time, not only personally, but publicly and trusting that everything I do already affects everyone. So let's be real about it and keep breaking normal. All right, welcome to the Breaking Normal podcast, um, Ellen. Thank Ellen, you. how do I say your last name? Smoke. Smoke, what a cool name. Isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Is that your birth name? It is. Yeah, great, I love it. So I actually, this is the first time we're meeting in person, and mysteriously enough, which is a big part of my life, uh, we actually run a company called International Tribe Design, and we design the strongest tribes as fast as possible using music, movement, memetics, and mystery. Mystery being the part that if I tried to explain what happened, it would make less sense. It would not be a mystery anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, women, and women, women and men especially that can embody their feminine essence, it cultivates a lot of clarity. I mean, mystery, white space, maybe chaos, maybe confusion, um, but it's a great place to, I think, for one to get to know themselves. So I'm ge- I'm excited to get to know you in this mysterious connection. I believe Michelle Norris. Michelle suge- Norris is who connected us. Great. Yep. Yeah, yep. she seems like she, you and her are extremely connected. We're ex- we are extremely connected. And it happened in an instant, just like a lot of those other mysterious feminine things that happen. Uh, and so, yes, we have actually a lot of mutual friends, like 68 mutual friends on Facebook. So it was just bound to happen that we were going to meet at some point. And here we are. And I also, breaking normal enough, you're the only person that I recorded the intro before before our podcast rather than after so far. Well, then you couldn't, you couldn't cancel on me. <laughs> and even with all the rain that I encountered on the way here and the two almost accidents, it was just meant to be. Okay. So I'm happy you're here safe and sound. And let's dive right in. You've said uh, several things that have caught my interest right off the bat. One being that you just um, did a TED Talk. And where was that at? Here in Austin? It was It was here in Austin. And TEDx Barton Springs Women at St. Edwards University on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Oh, that's awesome. That's where our babysitter actually lives right next to that school. And that's where she went to school. So oh, great. Was it women only? It was women only. Yep, okay. there were eighteen of us, and we were selected from a group of over a hundred. So it was a, it was an honor, and what was even more of an honor for me was that I got to be in keynote position at the end of the day. 
Oh, great. So you're, you were the final speaker. Yes. Okay. So that I'm doing something I'm giving, I'm speaking at a party tomorrow and I'll be in that role. Oh, it's so exciting. You're, you get to like close the energy, Ooh. wrap up the room. <sighs> And that being said, I, I want to tell you my, my, a brief TEDx experience for me. I was in Encinitas, California, and um, my friend Dave Buda and his partner were putting on the TEDx somehow in Cardiff. And um, I was there that same weekend. I was running an event with JP and Brandon Hawk called Elevate Encinitas. And I, Dave was like, I was like, yeah, I can get JP. Yeah, sure. JP will do the TEDx. And then I asked, I was like, can uh, me and Brandon do it as well? I think that's how I remember it. And they accepted Brandon and JP, but not me. Oh. And I was like, what in the heavens? And I got to sit with that. It was good. And right after that, it's so like when the Ohm Daddy video started going viral and our event was awesome. And it was a humbling position for me. Um, I think that's the price that anyone gets to put when they put themselves out there or say yes to an opportunity that they might not, it might not turn out exactly like they thought it would. And that point I remember being a little hurt about like my feelings got a little hurt about that did you was this the first time you applied for a TEDx like how did you secure your position as the keynote speaker at this TEDx uh, uh, with magic and mystery like you were talking about before uh, I actually uh, I have a, a platform here in Austin called the Society of Women Entrepreneurs and I have around 3,500 women in my tribe so I'm out on a monthly and, and often more uh, several times a month um, speaking around town on women's empowerment and sisterhood and building tribe like you do as well. And so a few of my, actually a few of my members um, uh, nominated me for this and I uh, submitted the application as well. And I got a call a couple of days later from the TEDx producers here in Austin, not to tell me that I had been selected by TED, even though they did, they told me a month early, they weren't supposed to tell me yet. Uh, but because they wanted me to fill in for a keynote that had uh, just opened up at another conference that they were producing for women. So they actually got to hear me talk and we started working together on another conference before Ted even started. Uh, but it was it was a it was a huge honor. Um, it's been something that I know a lot of people listening in have Ted on your vision board. And for somebody like me, and I think for all of us, a lot of us, I had absolutely no idea what I'd talk about when I got onto a Ted stage one day. Zero idea. Uh, same thing happened when it, with my book. I used to look at books when I was a, a child. The, my superheroes were people that were on the cover of books. So I loved going into bookstores to see those faces and see those names and hardly knowing who anyone was. Uh, but I, I wanted that to happen at some point with, in my life and um, took a lot of struggle to get there. I, we can go into some of those stories if you want uh, when it comes to writing my book and when it came to getting to the TED stage. Um, but I, I did have a little bit of a platform to work with here in Austin. So that I'm sure helped me. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I think, um, I think when we set intentions and we absolutely freaking know it's going to happen one day, that that's really where the magic and, and, and it, there is no real there. Maybe there's mystery, right? Maybe people could call it mystery. Um, uh, but the magic is really in, um, knowing our truth. And for me being able to speak into my truth on stage, my talk was called confessions of a former mean girl. And to be able to have a title like that on a Ted talk means that I have, I, I went through, I went through hell and back when it came, when it comes to women and uh, had a lot of a lot of hard heartache, a lot of hardship when it comes to my relationships with women. Um, but that TED Talk came up and out of me because of what I had been through in my life. And finally taking a stand uh, for other women, getting to a point in my life where I, <clears throat> I just couldn't shut my mouth anymore. Well, thank you. Thank you for n not suppressing the genius and the gifts and the treasure that want to live through you anymore. I, I think suppression is very synonymous with depression. I think a lot of people might feel depressed emotions at certain times when they're, especially if they're not uh, expressing once, what wants the magic and the mystery that what wants to live through them, if that makes enough sense. Um, so I'm imagining that was an extremely energetic opportunity and experience, probably planning for it, doing it, and probably still post the integration. Yes. It was actually the hardest thing that I've ever done in my professional life. 
And I've written a book on my my ex-fiance breaking up with me. What's the name of that book, by the way? Breakups are a bitch, but getting over them doesn't have to be. <laughs> and uh, is that available on Amazon, or where can people find that right it's now? It's been on Amazon for a while. I wrote it in 2012. Okay, nice. So that, that is, feels like there was a comparable energy of producing that book and producing this speech, the TEDx speech? I wish I could say it was comparable, but it was totally different. It's totally uh, different. Okay. Well, Tell me the differences, please. The, the TED... I'll tell you the similarities really quick. The similarities were that something was moving through me that was larger than me. And I was very tuned in and tapped in and turned on when I was producing, when I was writing my my book and also writing my speech. The difference with the process was no one was holding me accountable to writing my book except for me. And I told my mom I was writing it. In fact, my mother was my, my first editor on my book. But there was no one except for me that was holding me to a deadline. And so the pressure in that uh, wasn't there. It was more inspired action. When it comes to TED, I got the call that I was, I was going to be able to, to do a TED Talk. And then they did the formal announcement about a month later. And then they started this process. And for someone like myself who um, is used to using her own process and not following somebody else's process, I instantly felt myself contract around all of the deadlines uh, and all of the um, all of the tasks that were um, associated in producing TED, I had absolutely no idea going into that that it was going to be as rigorous as it was. It was almost like being asked to write a dissertation in a month, and I've never written a dissertation, so I I can't talk into that. But uh, we had we had deadlines. We had to turn in our our drafts. We had to make videos. We had to get everything um, edited and. Um, uh, facts had to be checked, et cetera, et cetera. That's why it's not even on the website yet. So it was filmed on Tuesday. It goes into editing and the talk itself won't be out until the middle of January because the TED organization fact check, fact checks everything. It was a very strenuous process. Well, just to make the mystery even more on my part. So JP complained, he kind of complained about the same thing. He's like, he didn't want his creativity to be robbed. So I think he bent as many rules as possible. And that, I think JP is very unique in that circumstance. I think some people are very uh, benefited by having the creative constraints put on them and do this and do this way. But funny enough, on his TED Talk, and I was there, I was like living right down the road, I somehow, um, I'm usually so on time, I ended up being late, and they locked the doors. I, I don't know if, that, if this was the scenario here in Austin. And I literally had to break into the TEDx in a way, like I really kind of <laughs> used the power of influence and confidence I'm getting in that room right now. And sure enough, I snuck in, and I listened to his speech, and I was like, he just gave the speech to the forward to Breaking Normal. So the forward to my book is actually JP's TED, 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 TED Talk, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. So uh, it lives on in many ways. Yep. So I'm excited to see how yours lives on, even before it's actually birthed for the the public web to see, which I'm excited to see that. I would like, I would love to start there or continue starting there. The confessions sure. of a mean girl. Is that what the... Confessions of a former mean girl. Confessions of a former mean girl. So that's also significant to me because I think one of my biggest turning points in my life was when I got bullied in high school on my baseball team. So it's different. It was with men. And I don't know if that is part of this speech or part of the message. Um, but I have been bullied by mean boys at a young age. Um, what does a mean girl to mean to you? And how did you, I'm imagining that means right off the bat that you used to be a mean girl and you no longer are. Can you take us through that evolution a little bit real quick? Sure. Yeah. I, I tell some stories in my talk that uh, I am unable to share until the talk comes out, but I'm going to tell you a little bit. Uh, I myself was also a mean girl t tremendously. I mean, I, I, I feel for you, I feel for all of us that have been through these bullying experiences. Um, the Center for Disease Control states that between 20 and 30% of children are bullied in schools. So it, it's no joke. Uh, and if you, uh, if you have any interest, in fact, it was really interesting during my speech, I got to do a lot more during my speech writing. Uh, I too, like JP, started fighting that creative process. I'm like, you guys are taking me out of my flow. What do you mean I have to record this for you? What do you mean you, I, you're going to edit it? Uh, but one thing that one benefit to all of that was that I did a lot more research than I ever had on bullying and the types of bullying and how many people turn into bullies because they've been bullied or um, how, how many people are getting bullied in the workplace. 
Um, so it's a real interest, real interesting um, research that's out there. For me, um, I grew up, I, I, my first neighborhood that I was in, I had so many friends, girls and boys. It was one of those neighborhoods and things were different when we were little. I'm 40 now. So when, when we were little, uh, we could just leave our houses and uh, roam around the neighborhood and go miles away and our parents didn't worry about us until the cowbell rang or until somebody whistled or somebody and you had to come back in for dinner. So I had just this tremendous amount of friends. And when we were in sixth grade, my parents moved me to, moved us, uh, all of us, to uh, a different high school, to be in a better high school. And we moved just close enough to that high school to be able to afford it. Um, I, I grew up very, you know, very middle class. And I never fit in after that point in sixth grade. I remember getting there and not really being accepted by the popular girl uh, in the popular crew in sixth grade. I tried to be friends with them. I found myself bouncing around a lot and ended up having some really uh, vicious things happen through high school and even college. And uh, and yes, I, I think when um, once we learn often what not to do, the only thing we know to survive is to start doing the same thing. Uh, and I have studied I have studied this with women more than I have men. Uh, I also think that um, men often have an easier way of getting over things and getting through your hiccups in your relationships than women do. You guys are like, you'll get in a fight and you'll wrestle around and you'll punt each other and then you'll go shoot hoops and everything's cool. And we women don't do that. We hold, we hold grudges for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious about um, what, what is there a one that's not breaching the NDA of your TED talk, but maybe an example of what it was like when you were embodying a mean girl and what that brought up for you and how did you make the shift? Like, how did you wake up to? Because I, I can relate. I bullied. My, I'm the oldest sibling, and I bullied my siblings without even knowing what bullying was really and some and sometimes in my life I remember like looking back and doing things I thought were mean like I remember going to the grocery store with my brother and running away from him when he was young and seeing if he couldn't find me and he would get scared and, I, and I, looking back on it I almost feel like dirty about them like what the heavens was I doing um and I think I was able to wake up to that when I was on the receiving end of it I was like this is I didn't, I didn't like that feeling of going to baseball every day and having to fight off like the guy that everyone was scared of who he, I was his target. I didn't like that, but man, did it, um, produce a lot of character for me. And I'm not saying that's the best way to produce character. I, but I somehow came through that. I think a better man and I don't need to attract that into my life anymore. Um, and I hear you. I hear you. It, it, women are different. When I see women bullying each other, sometimes it seems to be a lot more, uh, more passive and, less spoken about, less direct. And we, we can be really vicious and we can be really secretive and really mysterious back to your point. We can, we can use that, um, the, the, the magic of our femininity in the shadow side of that can come across, can come off in a very, um, sideways way. And we often, um, the, the way that it comes off sideways is with our relationships with other women, our jealousies, our insecurities, our, uh, our, our low self-esteem. What's interesting is if you, if you, if you look at the, the research with bullying, uh, they, they actually have it backwards. They're just now realizing this. They used to think that it was the kids that, that felt bad about themselves and you would, and I don't know if your parents ever said this, but uh, I, I remember hearing when I was little, don't worry about it, honey. She just doesn't love herself. She just, she's doing that to you because she doesn't like herself either. I heard the jealousy. Like my mom would always tell me, oh, they're jealous of you. And this mm -hmm. is the way they're dealing with it. So the research now is showing that it's actually the people that have very high self-esteem that are the bullies. So that's been the real, that's been an interesting turn of events um, for the researchers that they're finding that, no, it's not because she doesn't have, or she doesn't have any self-esteem. It's not because she has low self-confidence. It's actually because she, she thinks very, very, very highly of herself and she's taking it out on, um, and, and therefore thinks that she is, or he is in a, uh, higher place of authority. Um, you'll notice when people, you know, people, people get into positions of power in, in different environments. And then instead of empowering the people around them, they start to disempower them instead, because I, I think, I think for a lot of reasons, um, we get scared to lose it. We become jealous. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's often hard for those alpha types to have other alpha types around. Um, for me, I don't think that I, I, I think that I was a healthy alpha and I turned into a very unhealthy alpha, um, 
from my experiences uh, being bullied uh, by women. Um, the story that I, that I can share, and this is this is the story that I also shall share in my TED Talk. When I was in eleventh grade, my friends invited me over to school to hang out after, uh, to hang out after school one day. And so when the bell rang, I went over to Kara's house and knocked on the door. And when the door opened, I realized that my friends were already there. They were sitting in a circle on the living room floor. And what I didn't realize is that they were waiting for me to sit down so that they could tell me everything they didn't like about me. That was the moment that I can look back and pinpoint not only did I shut down my heart and my acceptance and my trust with other women, I also shut down myself. It was in that moment that I started dimming down because up until that point, if I was bringing light and radiance into the world and I was finding in that moment that it was unacceptable, I remember hiding after that. And I remember hiding for years and not, and and when that started to shift for me in my mid-20s in San Diego with some, actually with one of the people that we know in common in Encinitas, we have a friend in common, when I started meeting women that loved me and accepted me and honored me and actually uh, encouraged light out of me completely changed my life. So being mean girl for me is, is it's, it's kind of twofold. It, it vastly changed my relationships with women. And even at 40 years old, I still, I still get triggered sometimes. It's been a, it's been a journey and it's still a journey um, of, of being, of being able to be in a, in a group of women and it's, it's interesting just saying this out loud because I lead 3,500 women here in Austin and I still find myself in groups of women feeling uncomfortable and having that voice go, oh my God, do they like me? So for me, it's that, it's the relationship piece. And then it's also um, the uh, getting out of your own way and being able to manifest what you want in the world because when you're not in your power, when you're being disempowered in the, in your relationships and you're not, you're not feeling uh, like you have relationships in your life that encourage greatness, then you dim your greatness. So for me, my healing around women also healed my ability to start doing what I want to do in the world. That's why I'm so passionate about this with, with, with other women. Yeah. And thank you for doing that. And that, just to be clear, that time when you walked in on that group of girls, it was circled up and they were waiting for you to tell you all the things they didn't like about you. That was at the new school that in the new social scene. And that's what it was, but it was five years later. That was in 11th grade. I had moved schools in sixth grade. So I'd already had bump ins and run ins. And in ninth grade, uh, I don't I don't know that I've shared this publicly in ninth grade, a girl named Erin uh, who, who we're still friends today, but it's taken us a while to circle back around. Uh, she moved in from a neighboring high school. And so I immediately gravitated towards her because I didn't feel like I'd had a best friend in years. And we totally hit it off. I invited her. <laughs> I took her to the Garth Brooks concert at the South Carolina State Fair. My, my mom dropped us off, picked us up a few hours later, and we became best friends. And it felt, I remember it felt so good. I was so proud to have a best friend. I was probably happier than I'd been in years. And then this girl, Toby, came around. And Toby really liked Erin. And I guess he had this, like, friend, girlfriend crush on her. And for reasons that research even goes into, um, I, I suppose Toby didn't want me in the, in the picture anymore. So she spread a rumor that I had hooked up with Erin's boyfriend. Erin believed it, and we weren't friends for six years. Wow. So th- that was just a, a made up lie. I'm Completely made so up. That's definitely a difference. I, I have so little empathy for lying. I think I, um, I don't understand it. Fortunately, I've just found so much grace in my life by telling the truth <laughs> and not, not, I don't mean that means that I've had, I've had very, a lot of fun, comfortable conversations, um, that some people probably wouldn't even consider fun. Um, but by me being honest and transparent continuously, it just seems like I have nothing to remember and it's easy, but I have been around women and groups of girls that where they accuse each other of lying. I'm like, oh, I, that makes it complicated enough. And I, my bullying wasn't based on lying. It was just purely like trying to make fun of me and hurt my feelings. And it was even physical. And you're bringing up so many things based on my research. Like, first of all, the idea of trauma, do traumatize people traumatize others, especially if that trauma is unacknowledged. It seems like me and you and others that are not passing that pattern along first had to acknowledge, acknowledge their own trauma. And I think, uh, yeah, for maybe a wrestling match or a boxing match or 
getting physical about it actually helps shake off trauma and maybe women don't allow themselves to do that as much in the United States, uh, like roughhousing for connection. Whereas I do think that can That's be healthy. That's something you can do in your tribes. That's what we've, we've been bringing that. And we've actually been bringing our next event in Hawaii. We have a guy named Rafe Kelly and he is like an expert at this um, in martial arts and bringing natural movement into the woods. And one of the things he's doing is getting men and women to roughhouse with each other as a way of connecting with each other. And the trauma there, first of all, that brings up so much, uh, especially for the men, uh, when a man is against a woman because the man finds themselves trying to play it so safe. And sometimes a woman wants it more because she's finally roughhousing with someone that's stronger than her that she trusts in. And sometimes a trauma is triggered that she forgot about. And um, this is a relevant topic to me because I've been studying circumcision lately. And there, a lot of research shows that one of the main reasons circumcision continues is because it's, it's such an early on trauma in the man's life that it goes unacknowledged. And PTSD, sh this idea around that shows that that person that's been traumatized in that way is much more likely to perpetuate that trauma, especially if it's an unconscious and unacknowledged. And I think the hospital set setup makes that very easy. Like, sure, sir, you, sure, you can circumcise him because that way he'll look like me and that's what is normal and clean, right? So um, I ha I've been doing my own research around like trauma and how to process it. And I do, I could see how women may not have these as socially acceptable outlets to, to, tr to process it and to acknowledge it. And I, I guess that's one thing I'm curious for you. Like if someone is listening to this, especially a woman that finds themselves maybe being a mean girl or feeling like girls are being mean to them, what's the best way to handle this? Well, I want to acknowledge you for bringing up this hurt people, hurt people aspect. It's true. It's true with physical abuse. It's true with sexual abuse. Um, research sh shows that the, when somebody is hurt, they have, there's a higher, much higher likelihood of them hurting other people. Whatever that hurt that they inflicted or, or had to or was inflicted on them, they, they end up inflicting onto others. Uh, and I think the same thing is true with, um, with bullying and mean girling. Um, I... <sighs> I am often asked or at least presented uh, a lot of circumstances in my life, things that happen to me, and I, it seems like on a daily basis because this is my work on a daily basis, somebody is telling me a story about them being mean girl at work or um, having a friend turn on them or um, what breaks my heart maybe even the most is family situations and blended families, how awful some women can be inside those situations. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't change someone. Um, so I'm talking, you know, if I'm talking to the women who are, are in these hard situations at the end of the day, we can't change them. Uh, I operate my life, my life, um, and live my life based on a lot of faith. And, I do believe that everybody who comes into this life is here to learn different things for different reasons. Back to what you mentioned a bit ago that uh, you, the, the experiences that you had being bullied, being bullied have shaped you. I've had hor horrific experiences with, with relationships with women. I've also had several devastating heartbreaks in my life, but I haven't dealt with death. My best friend and one of my good friends from college had never, she's never had her heart broken. But she's lost three of her best friends in car accidents. You know, our lessons in our in our lifetime come in so many different shapes and and sizes. And now, and oftentimes, I think what we forget is that not everybody understands what you're going through and what you've been through. And I've seen this, I've experienced this, and I still witness it. I I witness people turning on one another simply because they don't understand each other, uh, and simply because um, they they might not ever really understand them because they haven't been through something very similar. So I see a lot of these, I see a lot of these situations, uh, women turning on each other because they simply just don't understand. And my um, personal approach to that is that we are all here to learn different things and we're going to react to life in different ways. We can't control what somebody's doing, but we absolutely can fucking stand up for each for ourselves and for each other. What I, what I don't, what I, what I don't stand for and what I will always, uh, and, I, and I preach this from the TED stage, uh, we are conditioned to watch things happen in our lives and not say anything and not want to get involved. 
you and I and a lot of the people that are listening to this and a lot of the communities that we're in, we are so involved in each other's lives and we're taking workshops and we're doing things to better ourselves. And like you said, you're, these workshops where men and women are being put together to, to help each other heal. The rest the, the majority of the population is not to this point yet. And so the majority of the population are still not getting involved when they see something that's that that's happening that isn't um that isn't right and so I my call is to women who are being mean girl to stand up for yourself whether that is to leave your relationship leave that environment um you don't have to do it abruptly because I also don't stand for ghosting people I think ghosting people and women are doing this to each other all the time it's not just on bumble um women are ghosting one another and that is a version of mean girling in my opinion when you don't call your friend back, who's been calling you wondering what the hell's been going on for six months. So the, the, the person who, the person who needs to leave, the person who needs to say something, absolutely do it, do it with love. Um, do it from a place of power. Don't do it from a place of feeling triggered or being triggered. Get through that, move through that, talk to whoever you need to talk to, do whatever yoga pose you need to do. Um, have whatever glass of wine you need to have before you have that conversation, but move on if you need to. And for those people who are seeing this happen, stand up for them. You can do it in a chat room online. Just the other day, I, I, I witnessed, um, I witnessed a, a, a woman on Facebook getting creamed, just getting crushed because she was being accused of being racist. And it was someone's opinion um, and it wasn't the truth. And this woman was called all sorts of racist names. She was called all sorts of na- like, she was called the a bitch. She was called this. She was called that. I think she was even called the C word and nobody stood up for her. That to me isn't okay. Um, so that's my message for those people who are having something happen to them that they're not alone and to say something and to stand up for themselves, but do it from a place of love and, um, do whatever it takes to heal yourself after that. Consider it a breakup. Uh, I talk, I talk in my book about things that, that we can implement to dissolve energy between relationships when they go wrong, um, to leave those relationships with love. There's a loving kindness prayer, uh, that was brought over to the States called Ho'oponopono from Hawaii. You probably know it. You've spent time in Hawaii. And using these types of, of, of healing modalities on, on, on the people that have hurt us and even on ourselves is so important because these wounds are deep, regardless of whether it comes from another woman or another man in your life or from yourself. They're deep and they often last a lifetime. And it, 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 it takes a lot of um, strength and a lot of courage and a lot of work to do the work to heal ourselves. Yeah, and I can. This is such a big topic because uh, there's. Um, it's a very personal topic to me with Davina. Um, growing up, you know, she's about to be two years old, and we've been traveling the world with her. And there's a. I've noticed a temptation, <clears throat> especially when Davina. First of all, I don't know if you've been around many babies, or you remember when you were a baby. I'm or, Auntie Ellen to all of my friends' kiddos. <laughs> okay, so you've probably experienced this. That babies, in particular, have this genius ability to go from like laughing to crying to screaming to dancing to sleeping within like seconds. There's not like they're not worried about fitting in. They're not worried like if I scream, how is this going to be received? Yet, or if I dance, how is this going to be received? They're doing it because they're like nature un uninhibited by worshiping the opinions of others and I think that's probably first of all I I think a lot of parents because their own discomfort and um, maybe they've stopped screaming or they've stopped dancing or they've stopped letting it loose regardless of their environment that they project that onto their child and the child at a very young age can start believing that certain things that they want to do are inappropriate uh, especially if they kind of go against the crowd. And that's a big part of Breaking Normal for me. That's To me, this is about shifting into heart sync over groupthink. And, I mean, it's such a big topic, um, you know, to stand up for what's right. And at the same time, <clears throat> the stuff goes on around the world, like slavery and uh, wars and even my grandparents who survived the Holocaust. And, you know, <clears throat> sure that there is countless uh victims uh, physically vi- physical victims to that that genocide 
But what about the people that were um, inflicting the 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 heinous acts, like the Nazis? What about them? And how did they? How did so many like I've heard about certain groups that didn't stand up, um, that didn't stand up and kind of went with the flow. But I've also heard about like break off German groups that didn't participate in the war and they were not having it. And I don't hear much about them in history books, um, but I'm curious about those people. And I'm curious that this group think thing is a real deal, not only with bullying, but it goes all the way to, if we look at history, to killing people. People are killing each other to not stand out in a way, depending on how you look at it. But that's how I look at it. I'm like, man, what people will do to fit in blows my mind. So I'm, I'm here to be a voice to stand up, stand out, be proud, be loud. As long as you're coming from a place of love and doing what's right, I am, I'm very tolerant. I love this. Do you see me moving around? I'm like, can we stand up now? Because I, I want to I preach the gospel of sisterhood all around the world. And it's very in alignment to what you're talking about. It's, it's this heart think instead of, instead of group think. We are conditioned to just accept things that always have been. And, it, and, it's, and, and I think for good reason. Because look at how many people who have stood up for themselves and then they've gotten shot. You know, they've gotten gassed or they've gotten hung or they've gotten, you know, crucifixed. So it, it's, it's scary and it can be scary. You know, it, they, everything's relative, right? And so our pain and somebody else's pain, it's relative. They could be feeling just as bad as we do. And, and in, you know, reality, or if we look at it on a piece of paper, maybe our, maybe, maybe one does look bigger than the other, but we're all, we, it all, either way, it feels like shit. And, um, I think it's, I think for good reason, people should be scared in a way to, um, stand up, but, um, the wound is the way that's the only way we're going to be able to create, to create change. Um, and, and creating change, you know, anybody who's listening in, I was just thinking this the other day, as I was talking to my tribe on Facebook, a lot of people who follow me and I have about, I have, um, tens of thousands of other people who follow me because of my breakup book. And most of them aren't entrepreneurs. Most of them aren't going to be the people necessarily who are writing the books or standing on stage or doing the TED Talks or, or sitting here with us doing podcasting. And so often I was wondering if, if often our message can land on deaf ears when we start saying change the world, be the change maker, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth of the matter is that if you just make that one shift for your child, you're changing the world. And back to what you're talking about with, uh, with children not being allowed to express themselves, it's all over the place. I just overheard somebody today when I was at, at the gas station telling a man telling his little boy not to cry. And he was seven. And I just wanted to, to reach into the car and say, cry all you want and get it out because you're probably going to feel better in three minutes. It's only going to take three minutes. Uh, so I'm in, I'm in full support of... Um, what you were mentioning a moment ago about uh, uh, facilitating ways for people to get their anger and frustration out. Um, and I was having a similar thought recently. I, I, I was talking to my girlfriends and I said, you know what? I love to just be angry. I love to just feel rage. And to be honest, when I was on that TED stage earlier this week, I thought I was Kali the Indian god of destruction and you know she she chops men's heads off for not being conscious well I thought I would for me it felt like I was up there being Kali chopping women's heads off for not being conscious with one another so I love that state of being and the cool thing about that, that state of being is when it, it when it really is anger when it really is rage it really doesn't last that long and we can dance it out and we can scream it out and so I told my girlfriend I think I'm going to start having rage parties we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a fire in my backyard, and once a month, maybe around the full moon, we're just going to get together and rage. So this is similar. We're going to have to have our first one in Austin before you leave. We go do men and women. Oh, yeah. And I know the right guy to get involved with this. Potentially, <laughs> we're going to bring a tribe design here in March. And yes. our friend Elliot Hulse, he's been doing these Osho active meditations. He, does, he calls it grounding man. Awesome. And a lot of it's about that the issues are in the tissues. And mm, the yeah. talk therapy all day and shake that shit out. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of shaking this week for the first time with my TED Talk. Uh, I, I had done that in workshop before where you just stand and you just bounce up, you know, up and down and you shake your limbs and then you, you, you know, you tap on yourself. Uh, and I would, I was able to release anxiety faster that way than I think with anything else recently. Cause I, boy, I had some anxiety before I got on that Ted stage. Let me tell you. Wow. 
Yeah, so this is cool because this 12 days of Christmas launch of the Breaking Room podcast, I'm challenging people to um, do a morning ritual while listening to the podcast. And part of it would be a long walk through the woods. But a lot of my morning rituals, literally beating myself, like smacking myself and doing all kinds of crazy breath work. I call it like a yin and yang breathing. So the yin's like all in and the yang is all out through my nose where the yin's all in through my mouth. And yeah, I do that on a daily basis. To me, it's just a maintenance program, not only for my consciousness, but for my immune system. And in case, because this is what I want to bring this to, I brought up the circumcision idea and this PTSD idea and the trauma that keeps getting passed along that we're ready to shift away from. I think the circumcision is a great example because I think why people rationalize like this culturally rationalized away is because people don't think that they remember what happened to them at that age. But I want, I would like to hear what you have to say about this, but I think the baby goes through pain. There's a trauma that's inflicted at that point. And although they don't remember maybe mentally that it's still, that trauma is still a part of their being. Just as uh, if anyone's ever been hunting and there's, you can go for an animal and you'll see the animal has wounds on it and those wounds can be infected and it's still living with those wounds. It's not a, it's not stopping its life, but it's also if, for a human that has the ability to heal this themselves, I'm wanting more people to take action on it. And I think the first step is acknowledging it because you said that you want to understand each other, but I'm not sure if people understand themselves. I'm not sure if they remember the trauma from before five years old or the trauma that may have taken place in the womb. I would agree with you. In fact, my parents still laugh at me about this and they don't believe me, but I swear I remember, I remember being brought home from the hospital. They had the car seat. Uh, I don't know if this was a thing back in the, you know, 1978, but they had the car seat turned uh, backwards in the car. And I remember feeling scared that I didn't know where I was going. My parents think I'm crazy. And maybe, maybe I did dream that up or maybe I came up with that because I heard them telling the story over and over about me being brought home from the hospital. But I remember being scared with where I was going. And the, the, the amount of times I've been scared in my life with where I was going are, count, are endless. So I, I, I hear you and I believe you and I have not done any research around the circumcision or the PTSD. But if we can remember, if our psyche remembers things from past lifetimes, and if we're in a womb for nine months, picking up everything that that woman, our, our mother is feeling and hearing and interpreting and experiencing, uh, if we're picking it up energetically, we're picking it up subconsciously. That's my belief. Uh, I have, uh, I am not a researcher and I am not a scientist and I, um, but I am, I, as an intuitive, that's what I intuit is that we, we absolutely do know exactly what has happened to us. And we, we are carrying it somewhere in our psyche, somewhere in our system for a long time. You mentioned uh, most, you know, most people don't even know what happened to them. That really resonated with me because the moment I sat down when I was in 11th grade and I sat down in that circle, I disassociated from myself in a really big way. I disassociated from how painful that was. I disassociated from uh, how even painful it was at home at that time. I went from daddy's little girl to daddy's little fighter. We fought all the time in, in high school. Uh, he's one of my best friends today, but it was a really hard time for us. Uh, I, I disassociated um, from a, another traumatic experience that I had um, uh, right, around the, right around 16 that I did not even share for 10 years later. I had disassociated from it so much. Uh, and even just as recent as, as two weeks ago when I was writing my TED Talk, remembering the things that I had forgotten uh, was really powerful remembering all the stories and all of the situations and all, all the women that I had hurt and the women who had hurt me. Uh, I, I, I personally hadn't cried that much in years as I did preparing for that Ted talk. So, uh, what do we tell, what do we say to the people, um, who don't necessarily remember? Um, my best advice is to, get involved as soon as you can in groups and transformational workshops and mentorship um, and coaching uh, with people who can facilitate that type of uh, memory from you. 
um, because of going back to just shaking up and down and jumping up and down and, and also the mention with, uh, masculine and feminine or male, female workshops. In fact, I've been in David data workshops that do something similar to what you were talking about. Um, often the, often it's movement with the body that's going to bring up the memory. It's not sitting down and talking about it. Yeah. Wow. So much, so much to move and talk about. <laughs> um, man, like where to go from there? That's well. You mentioned something uh, that you, all right, that not acknowledging a trauma of sorts for ten years. I think that's a major part of it. Um, I've heard. I think it was Brene Brown. This quote that someone's only as sick as their secret. And I'm like, wow. That's a good one. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, I'm like, that's pretty profound because. And what I also loved how you said the advice. The first thing you said was get in group, get in groups. And what I remember from that is also another like quote or a parable that. A happiness shared is a happiness doubled, and a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. So a lot of the work that we do, that when I our next tribe design, the very first exercise will most likely look something like, all right, yeah, everyone has like a minute to black out and ruin your reputation. Tell us all the things you don't want us to know about you. Anything that you would think would ruin our chances of connecting with you, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. And what we find out is some, it's usually one thing, one secret that someone has never told anyone. And just by sharing that secret out loud, first of all, I think they get a little space from it. They're like, oh my gosh, now other people hear how ridiculous I've been. I get to finally hear myself speak this in front of other people. And first of all, to see how personal it is, what the heck was I hiding from? And then sometimes people look physically different. They just look, they all of a sudden, like uh, 10 minutes later, they look like uh, they have, their face is a little new and they look a little lighter and their maybe more facial muscles are moving, a bit more of a holistic uh, version expressing themselves rather than the part that's like spending so much effort trying to hide this one secret in these ways it might be even unconscious to them until they let it out so I think that's a huge that's probably my biggest advice for people as well especially with processing emotions is finding someone that you can share everything with yes I'm about to tear up over here because I shared something on stage this week at TED that I've never shared before and I can't wait for that video to come out in January. It'll probably be around the second week. And it was one of the most freeing experiences of my entire life. I had only, I had only told maybe two people my entire life about what I did. And I just potentially told millions of people. And it felt amazing. And I think that's what everyone really wants. I think everyone really at their core wants to be f seen as they're fully expressed, regardless if it looks like what other people look like when they fully express themselves, a.k.a. a child, a.k.a. maybe in order to see heaven be childlike. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I guess we'll leave that as uh, people to stay I, tuned. I wish I could tell you, but I can't. <laughs> we have to wait for it to come out. It's in editing. Uh, and it, that just reminded me, the word freedom, just Daniel just reminded me of um, something I shared this past summer, so I turned 40 in June, and... When's your birthday? June 11th. Okay, I'm June 1st. So oh, fellow close, Gemini. Close enough, close yeah. <laughs> so I remember feeling like something was washing off of me as I was turning 40. I felt, started to feel more um, relaxed, more um, uh, just worry-free. I started to feel less constricted. And what I realized when I turned 40 is that that was a lot of my ego that had been washing, washing off. And we can't be egoless. I mean, I will never claim to be egoless, but the first 40 years of my life, I felt like I was trying to prove something. And I was probably, some of, some of me was always trying to make up for something that she didn't have or that she wasn't given maybe that little girl who was hurt and didn't feel like people liked her. And I felt like that was just washing off. And that was, I wrote about this on Facebook. I shared a, I shared a post back in June. It's probably public if anybody wants to read it. And it was about what freedom really meant to me at the, at the time, by the, when, at the time that I turned 40, freedom is talked about all over the place in the personal development space. We talk about freedom of time, freedom of location, financial freedom, 
and a lot of it's written about um, the external world and how free you are to move around your world. And for me, I didn't feel free in my inner world for 40 years. So when I shared on Facebook that I had found this freedom, freedom of mind, um, freedom of expression, uh, freedom from pain, freedom from insecurity, and freedom from the need that I, that I was proving anything anymore, freedom from it being about me anymore. My organization here in town is called the Society of We, and I'm often saying it's not, the, it's, it's not about me, it's about we. And I can take that now and 100% authentically with absolute truth say that that's how I'm living my life. That everything that's coming out of my mouth, these interviews, these, these, these stage appearances, um, my purpose and my mission is to do it for we, because if I can get to a point where I can feel free from myself, I want to give that to other people. Awesome. Yeah. And that's something that's interesting because, um, this might be a, a moment where we can, we, or I, <laughs> I and I, I don't know if you ever heard like Bob Marley or any Rastafari kind of reggae artist uh, refer to each other as I and I instead of you and me. I have not. I must start listening to that music a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's like I and I and I. Oh, yeah. It's mm -hmm. like the all the whole tr holy trinity within us and around yes, us. And, yes, um, I see. So I... I, I, and I, I believe you're speaking about we in a very empowering way that the, the we is ready for. Um, a lot of it, a lot of what I'm training myself to do and others is to accurately report what's happening for them only. And I do think that is one of the best ways to support we. Because I think a lot of the past, these past patterns that we're evolving beyond now as humanity are going to, are being broken by people letting go of projecting and guessing and pretending to be psychics about each other and more just being in awe of the curiosity of themselves and understanding themselves and not understanding themselves. I'm, I'm not claiming that I understand myself and I'm not claiming that I'm giving, I'm giving any answers here, but I am curious enough and um, courageous enough to keep asking the questions till I get closer to this moving target of the truth. That's how I see it. And I so honor you. I so honor that, especially, uh, most of the work I've done on this with men, and I love that I'm meeting um, a woman that's leading other women through these transformational experiences and getting people to kind of getting people. When I what I can hear is like getting people over themselves, over their past trauma, over their past patterns to realize like we all have a blank slate right now, and what are we going to do about it? The word permission is coming up really strong for me right now as you're talking, and I can only mostly speak to women. But what I've witnessed in the past two and a half years as the society of we has grown and we've, we have hundreds of people come to our meetings now, the permission that women have been given in this kind of environment blows my mind. It is palpable. It is powerful. It is purposeful. This permission, uh, it, they're giving it to themselves and we're giving it to one another by coming together and saying, I see you and I believe in you and I'm so glad you're here. That permission to uh, say yes to their life, yes to their business, um, the permission to, like you said, get out of their own way. Um, and maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's the permission to not hide anymore and not, and, and permission to feel ashamed. Yeah, that's what I'm curious on your, uh, some of the events that you're facilitating. Is that something that, that someone could anticipate by being a part of it, that they might feel um, less prone to hiding and more highlighting even things that they were less comfortable with in the past. Yeah. We don't let people hide. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's the same thing. See, we have so much in common and I like that there, there's things that maybe that we don't have in common. I love teaming up with people beyond agreement and because I think that's what makes the world so special that you fully actualized will not look like me fully actualized, although we may be actualized from the same source. How cool is that? And we may be dancing around a fire, <laughs> getting some anger out at some point in Austin. Uh, uh, um, yeah, you know, the not hiding. Now, I, I, I produce, I, I do not produce, um, you know, two-day transformational experiences for people. That's not what we do in the Society of We. We are a ongoing container uh, our, our mission is to empower women entrepreneurs, one woman, one mission and one business dream at a time. 
And so there's various levels of not allowing women to hide. Sure, somebody can don't join our Facebook group and they can hide forever. But what ends up happening is almost every meeting that we have, someone comes up to me and says, I was kind of hiding out for a while and just looking at you guys on Facebook and, and something told me I just have to come. So the energy to those of you who are creating communities, uh, and Daniel, you know this, um, when you're creating communities that, again, give people permission not to hide anymore, maybe that's the secret sauce. I've never said it like that, but I think we're on to something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at how similar our missions are. And <laughs> it's like, yes, I, I'm curious where you're going to be at mid-March. And maybe we can partner on the tribe design somehow Ooh. and bring the tribes together. Uh, my tribe would probably love <laughs> to help you design this. I would love to learn more. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, uh, I'm excited to share more about that. And um, I'm excited for all the people that will be joining us and or you where they'll start highlighting themselves rather than trying to hide, so, like highlight highlighting all of themselves and tr instead of trying to hide certain parts of themselves. To me, that's the difference between imagination and regurgitation. I think if someone wants to come from an imaginative, creative, blank space, then they get to be fully seen for where they're currently at and their past. And then they'll, they'll it unlocks the imagination, in my opinion. But if someone's spending time trying, if I'm trying to hide certain things from you right now, I'm not sure if I can be um, as in flow with the divine imagination that's flowing through me. Mm. If that resonates with you, it does. And you're so good with your words. You have all these great sayings that I'm really <laughs> enjoying. Uh, and the and the the next piece of this, I think, is it that that I would love to share is going back to the healing space that the longer you hide, the less quick you heal. The healing happens in tribe. Healing happens in sisterhood. Healing happens in community. You know, we're designed for it. We're not designed to be by ourselves. That's when we spin out and spin down and spin away. Uh, so I just really want to encourage anyone who's listening in to find that tribe and to find that community, whatever that looks like. And I think we're at a really critical point. Um, we're an exciting point with the consciousness of the, of the planet uh, and, at, and, at, and how that is growing and the amount of transformation that's happening. But I also think we're at a very critical point <clears throat> in that we've been online for way too long and we need to get offline and get back together again. Yeah, true that. And I, you, one thing you said that I so resonate with is I, I wanted to come. I'm not exactly sure why I want to be here, but I know it's time for me to stop watching from the sidelines. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most common testimony we get for the people that get the most out of our events. Mm -hmm. They like don't know why exactly they came, but they knew they had to. And I would say if someone's feeling that call, if it's whether you're here in Austin and you can join Ellen or whether you want to join us in Hawaii or Costa Rica or Austin. Or all of it. All of it. Do it all. Why not? It's, we're on a permanent holiday. Wake up. Hello. Um, <laughs> that, and if, if you really feel like, oh, there's not that where you're living. Like I, I, I remember one guy in Miami that were training. He thought there wasn't these type of communities around Miami until he started doing it with us. And then they started showing up. I think he could see what he was looking for before he wasn't looking looking for that so he wasn't seeing it and if you really don't see see it start one I would I would say that's just the shortcut for me that's where I've learned the most is by uh, leading you know being showing up as the leader I've almost put in quotes because I think how I lead is by listening so it's almost like by being the best teacher I can be is almost also being the best student I can be um, but really by taking the leadership role and putting that hat on I think that's the fastest way to learn so if someone knows that it's in their bones and they want to get involved with designing tribes to help healing around the planet on a collective and individual level, and you don't think it's around you, start it for yourself. Put out the invitation. Maybe one person will come. Maybe a hundred people will come. Um, and it's, I'm wondering, do you have anything to add to that? Like if someone's feeling this call to not only be part of a community, but they want to lead one. I, the words lean in just keep coming to me that you lead by leaning in and you know, I, I'll share the society of we started with 12 women in a living room two and a half years ago because my friend and I were lonely and we wanted to meet more women here in Austin. We kept meeting some amazing men. You, you've had a few on this podcast. It's a great community of internet marketers here in Austin. And it was very male centric when I moved here a year and a half, two and a half years ago. So we pulled 12 women in a living room and one person started to invite 
another person and then another person and then another another person and 99 women were in my living room a, a year later and now we're over 3,000. So you never know where these types of, of, of things can go if you're feeling called to do it. Um, the Society of We, we're having our, our first uh, conference towards the end of next year here in Austin, which we're really excited about because this will be the first time that we can that we have a reason to invite people outside of Austin to come in uh, and join our tribe. And uh, we will be um, looking for sister leaders in different cities around the country starting in 2019. Um, so if that calls to anyone, I'd love, love for you to find us on social. And this was just awesome. Thank you for having me. I love talking about, I mean, I can preach the mean girl thing all day, but I'm glad we just started talking about community, you know, that, that's something that regardless of what, you, what you've been through in your life, that's the way, in my opinion. Yeah, so the listeners, there you have it. You can join Ellen. You can join me. You can start your own tribe, however you want to do it. Um, and I know we've talked about, we've, we're talking a lot about like highlighting what you would hide. Like instead of fighting, flight, uh, fighting or flighting or freezing or putting on a facade or ghosting someone, how does... I just want to, is there any last inspiration for someone to do that, to do that first step? I like to take, I, I, the way I look at it is like a lot of people are trying to run the marathon of life and they have like a, a knee injury of sorts. They have a knee injury and then they, and they just have it bandaged up instead of dealing with it. And I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression. Dealing with that injury might be painful. It might be uncomfortable. It might bring up a lot, but man, can it be worth it? It can be so worth it. Uh, all of a sudden, that nagging pain that may have been holding back someone for so long by dealing with it that day or dealing with it for three minutes or 30 minutes or 30 days, how liberating that can be. And all of a sudden, you might feel like you're running for a marathon with new legs for the first time. Um, so I, I am always curious about how to inspire more people to take that first action step rather than just thinking themselves or uh, thinking their way around it like how do you is there any way you've gotten those people off the sidelines faster or gotten them to realize that life is less of a spectator sport and that we're all on our own stage right now the thing that's coming to me most is that if we have something that has hurt us hindered us, gotten in our way in our life, and it's still there. Maybe it's a physical manifestation. Maybe it's an energetic man manifestation of a, 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 some, a mindset of fear, uh, a roadblock that more than likely it had something to do with somebody else in our life. And it's never too late to make amends with that person. Uh, I'm a big fan of the clearing off conversation and I, for one, have experienced and I witness back to this ghosting thing. We have a, it's real easy just to, just to not call somebody back or not text somebody back. Um, it's real easy to not have the hard conversations. One of the best things I've ever done for myself, and I've done, used to do this with my clients as well, is, is have those clearing off conversations if you can. And if you don't know where somebody is or how to get in touch with them, you can write them a letter, you can burn it, you can say a prayer and hope they get it. There's a lot of energy that, and cords that we have tied to other people. And often those cords can um, hold us back in so many areas of our lives. So I would just, I would encourage anyone listening that if there, if that's true for you, if there is a, if there is a person, if there's a situation, if there's a way for you to clear that up, even regardless and being completely detached to how it shows up in return, being completely attached or unattached to the, uh, to the, to the outcome or the result, do it for you, do it to clear your energetic space, do it to cut the cut, cut the cord, do it so you can move forward. And so you can, um, make happen whatever it is that you want to make happen in your life hallelujah thank you amen yeah do it do it i i just do it do it one step at a time one action at a time one conversation at a time one morning at a time think about the etch a sketch if you've ever played with one of those you can shake it up and you have a blank slate you don't have to keep regurgitating old programming that's no longer serving you and it might be fun comfortable but i think it'll also be very fun It'll be very fun to face that fear and turn that anxiety into excitement and to get on stage and off the sidelines. So thank you for yes. being on stage continuously. Thank you. 
and that's one thing I've thought about. There's been a lot of things I could be nervous about. I could be nervous about this podcast or anxious about this. I could be anxious about the talk, the going to the show tonight. I could be anxious about the talk tomorrow. And I realized, like, I'm going to keep doing it, like leaning in. I'm going to keep leaning in. This is where the other, because the other, other hiding and suppressing it, it's heavy and it's not as fun and it's not as liberating. It seems less dreamy when I try to hide from those opportunities. So thank you for inspiring me and I'm imagining countless others to keep leaning into their dream opportunities that are right in front of them right now. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Yes, yes. Thank you. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay. I'm going to make this outro ubiquitous for the first 12 episodes. And it's basically me taking my own advice, walking my talk, and asking for what I want without being attached to getting it. And that's a review on this podcast. A review on the Breaking Normal book, whether it's on Amazon or Audible. For y'all to start Breaking Normal, let me know what it does for you. This is a big expression of my heart and soul. And it's another iteration of self-acceptance through self-expression. And I do believe that what's most personal is most universal. It's a great guiding light for how to communicate with one another. So if this added value to your life, and even if you think it didn't, let me know through a review. And uh, don't forget about that. We're going to be giving away a free tribe design to someone that leaves a review on the podcast. So go to BreakingNormal.com and check out the podcast section and uh, be eligible to win. To take action, at least putting yourself in a position to win this prize. And maybe this will be a big symbolic step. Like one small step here may take a giant leap for the rest of your life to put yourself in the opportunity to win. Which also puts yourself in the opportunity not to win. Which is... Both are a win, in my opinion. So let's tap into that vibration of winfinity and join us on that journey and keep breaking normal and stay in touch and be sure to ask for what you want without being attached to getting it to the people that would matter the most. And if that's to me, reach out to me. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear about it. Much love to you all. I look forward to exploring this infinite, evolving adventure out loud, authentically, synergistically, alchemically, and in respect to the divine. God bless.